today. I want to go ahead and read the text uh, to start with, and then we'll, we'll dive into studying it. Verse number uh, 14 of Ephesians chapter 3. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. And everybody say that last word out loud together. Amen and amen. Title of the message today is this, an in-between prayer. Have you ever noticed that our prayers often come between two big moments? I look at all the students down here. What a great group. Four rows full of junior high and senior high students. So thankful for their faithfulness to God's house. I think for students, a lot of prayer comes between studying for a test and taking a test. It's football season right now and high school football is on Friday nights. And I can imagine for those athletes and coaches that in between prayer starts on Thursday night, right after practice and before the big game on Friday night. For pastors like me, prayer comes between writing a sermon and preaching a sermon. A lot of prayer. For parents in here, a lot of prayer for their sanity comes when their child is between the ages of 13 and 18. Any parents of teenagers can give a witness to that prayer right there. For husbands in here, the in-between prayer starts immediately when we hear our wives say, we need to talk. I know a group of people in here who I dearly love, just disagree with, who have been praying for a very long time and in between prayer, in fact, for 24 years. And they started this prayer on January 28th of 1996. It's my dear Dallas Cowboy fans. Been praying for a Super Bowl ring for a very long time. In our text this morning, Paul prays an in-between prayer. Really, this prayer is the door on which the entire book of Ephesians swing. Let me explain that to you. The first three chapters of this book, which we've preached already, are all about understanding the gospel. So chapter 1 helped us to understand the spiritual blessings we have because of the gospel. Chapter 2 helped us to understand the transformative power of the gospel. It takes those who are dead in their sin and makes them alive in Christ. We had the chapter 3 where we talked about the power of the gospel to reconcile us both to God and to each other in spite of our differences. So we've understood some really profound things about the truth of the gospel. Now next week we're going to start studying verses 4, 5, and 6. And, and we aren't really studying to understand the gospel any longer. The book of Ephesians changes in its purpose and in its, and its aim to, to teaching us now how the understanding of the gospel comes out in play in our daily lives. How we are going to live out the gospel. So the first half of the book, Paul teaches us who we are in Christ. And the second half of the book, which we'll start next week, is all about living for Christ out of a response of who we are in Christ. Yet in between the two halves, it's tucked this prayer. This intercessory prayer, what I mean by that is it was a prayer that Paul prayed on the behalf of somebody else. 
You pray intercessory prayers all the time, I hope, for people you love and care about and concerned for. And in this case, Paul is praying this intercessory prayer on the behalf of the Christians in Ephesus. And he gives three major prayer requests. He says we ought to pray for the power of God. We ought to pray for the rule of God. And we ought to pray for the love of God. If we're not careful, here's what we'll do. We'll just breeze past this intercessory prayer without understanding, number one, what it means, and number two, why it's positioned where it's at in the book. The reason why it's positioned between the, the two halves of the book is because Paul is giving us an indication of how necessary prayer is to living out the gospel. You can understand it in your head, but for it to get into your heart and eventually affect your feet, your hands, your eyes, your mouth, your ears... On a daily basis, you need the power of God in your life. And it's not just a generic prayer that we pray. Paul's going to teach us some very, very specific things that we can pray through as Christians that will help us to live out the truths of chapter 4, 5, and 6 of Ephesians, which we'll begin studying next week. A lot of Christians tell me, Brother Mike, man, I would pray more, but sometimes I just don't know what to pray about. Well, I'm going to teach you some things to pray about right here. If you don't know what to say, you don't know how to say it, you can open up your Bible to Ephesians 3, verses 16 through 21, and you can literally read it out loud and you'll be praying this exact prayer. And that's perfectly fine and appropriate to do. We need to understand this today. Here's the first prayer request. Pray for the power of God. Look at verse number 16. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, watch here, to be strengthened with his might. If you study the word might in the Greek language, which is what the New Testament was originally written in, you're going to study that, that we, you're going to find that we use that word in our English language for the word dynamite. So we're not talking about a little bit of power here. We're talking about major power. We are praying for God's dynamite power. And you can understand how much power God is willing to give us when Paul makes it clear that he is willing to give us this dynamite power according to his riches. Do you see that in the verse? He didn't say out of his riches. He said according to his riches, and there's actually a big difference between the two. Imagine I was a billionaire, and I gave you a $10 bill. I gave to you out of my riches. But if I was a billionaire and I gave you a million dollars, I gave you out of the proportion of my riches. You understand? I gave you according to my riches. The first is just a portion of my riches. The second is, is proportionate to my riches. And Paul's making this, this case that when we pray for the dynamite power of God in our life to help us live out the gospel, God is willing and capable of not just giving us a $10 bill worth of power, but a million dollar bill worth of power, a lot of power. And he's a very rich God, by the way. If it's according to his riches, it's going to be a lot. And then understand how Paul says we we get this power. Who transfers this power to us? He says it's the Spirit. By, he wants to be strengthened with my, by His Spirit. Now, when we talk about the Spirit of God, we shouldn't get nervous about that. The Spirit is not some mystical or sensational force that we feel during singing. The Spirit of God is a person. In fact, it's the third person of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit, then, is the one who transfers this might to us. For, for instance, when Jesus was with his disciples during the very last hours of his life, John 14, 15, and, and, and he tells the disciples, I'm going to die on the cross, 
I'm going to rise again, then I'm going to be ascended back up into heaven. But I don't want you to be troubled because though I leave, another one equal with me is going to come and live in you. It's come by the Holy Spirit. He's going to comfort you. He's going to lead you. He's going to guide you. He's going to convict you. He's going to change you. He's going to infuse my power within you. And then you get to Acts chapter one. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. And he's about to send back up to heaven. And look in Acts chapter one and verse eight on the screen to what he told his disciples. But ye shall receive power. That's that dynamite word. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Are you seeing this? So, so, so the Holy Spirit, if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. That is good news. And the Holy Spirit, just as it was with his disciples, is the one who transfers God's strengthening power into your life. Which begs this question, how does that happen? Do I go to church and feel it? And then I'm good till next Sunday? Do I read a book? Do I get around somebody that has a spirit and it's like contagious, like the Rona? I mean, how does this happen? I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, you can turn to Ephesians 6. We won't do that today. You can turn to Ephesians 6, which we'll study in a couple of months. And you'll find that we are to be strengthened in the power of his might. And then we, we give two ways that we can be strengthened by the spirit in Ephesians chapter 6. Number one is by the sword of the spirit. What is the sword of the spirit? The word of God. And then Ephesians 6 says this, praying always in the Spirit. So it gives us uh, two means or, or mediums through which we can, can get the power of the Spirit. And that is through a daily discipline of reading God's Word and a daily discipline uh, of spending time in prayer. Now, now you might look at that as very elementary teaching but I don't look at that as elementary teaching. I look at that as a fundamental essential to having the power of God in my life. You must get in the word every day. You must pray every day. It's not good enough to ask the spirit of God to strengthen you on Sunday and for that to sustain you until the next Sunday. You've got to have your own daily walk with the Lord. And that's how the spirit infuses it into you. And you might say, well, why, how does, what, what part of me does, does that strengthen? Because I, I really genuinely feel like, like some Christians have this idea that they come to church and they hear the word. They get in their word by themselves. They pray so, so that it makes them look Christian and feel Christian on the outside. But Paul says this strength comes to our inner man in verse 16. What's the inner man? The inner man is that spiritual part of us that nobody can see. It's the part that God works on. It's, it's the part of our life where God dwells. We're not praying and reading our Bible every day so that we can beef up and impress those around us that we're a really good and big Christian. No, we are trying to strengthen the part of us that nobody can see. And that's the inner man. And here's why that's important. Please listen. Two reasons. Because Paul says that your outward man will perish. Okay, I don't care how many times you go to the gym, how many vitamins you take. How many weights you lift? I, none of that matters. You are going to die one day. You're going to get sick. You're going to wear out. You're going to get old. The outward man will perish. But here's what Paul says. Even though my outward man perishes, my inward man can be renewed day by day by day. You can get old on the outside and stay really new on the inside. That's the first reason. Here's the second reason why it's important. Because in the context of the book of Ephesians and living out the gospel, you do not live out the gospel from the outside in. You live the Christian life from the inside out. And you must be strengthened on the inner man or else you're going to crumble on the outside. And I believe, church, that this is a fundamental weakness of a lot of Christians. They try to live for God on the outside without strengthening the inside. And so here's what they do eventually. They try it for a while, fake it for a while. But here's what they do. They run out. They, 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 they burn out or they blow up altogether spiritually. 
It's what happens. I've seen it over and over and over. I'm serious. You, you watch a Christian who's active and serving God and God's getting the glory from their life and, and they are putting first the kingdom of God and then all of a sudden they're nowhere to be found. All of a sudden they're, they're not at church. They're not active. They're not serving. They're hit and miss. What has happened? I'll tell you fundamentally probably what's happened. They have tried for too long to serve God on the outside without strengthening the inside. I was told a story by one of my favorite preachers, a friend of mine, a pastor in Oklahoma City by the name of Jason Gaddis. He's preached here before. He said he pulled up to a gas station. He looked across the parking lot at a gas pump across the way. And he saw a man pull up to the gas station. And he slid his card. He opened his gas tank. He pulled the hose off of the pump there. And he stretched it over to his car. And he's about that far from, from reaching it. You ever been there before? One of the most frustrating things in the world. And at that point, most normal people will just get in their car, huff and puff a little bit, of course, but get in their car and then move it a little bit closer and start pumping their gas. Not this guy. This guy pulls the hose and he gets a little bit closer, but still just that, that far away. And so you know what he does? He throws the, the gas pump down. He, 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 he kicks the, the gas pump. He kicks his car and he just goes like this and looks at it like that. Like it's the hose's fault. Here's the problem. The guy's not going to get any fuel because he's too far away from the source. That's the point. Too many Christians are trying to live the Christian life, but they're too far from the source. They have no fuel. They have no power from the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life. And so they try to push their way through and their life, their Christian life is a grind day after day after day until eventually they break down completely. People say, I want a better marriage, but they don't read their Bible and pray. And so here's what they do because they want a better marriage. They go read a marriage blog. They listen to a podcast. They try to beef up their marriage on the outside, maybe even go to a Christian counselor. But they spend no daily quiet time with God, which is what uh, the the Spirit uses to strengthen us on the inside. And so they feel good about their marriage for a couple months because they're going to church now. They're trying to get their act together now. But eventually all those, those modifications wear off. And their marriage goes right back to where it was in the first place because they tried to fix something on the outside without giving attention to the inside. Who you are in your marriage is based upon who you are in here. It's not an outside problem. It's an inside problem first. People say, I want a better attitude. Man, I'm just getting caught up in all the negativity in the world. I want to be more positive. I want a more gracious attitude, a more patient attitude, a more loving attitude. And so I know what I need to do. I need to change my circumstances. I need to get around, I need to get, get around positive people. I need to get the negativity out of my life. And, and so I'm going to adjust where I work. I'm going to change my job. And, and I'm going to adjust who I spend my time with. And I'm going to adjust what I listen to and what I watch. And while all those are good things to do, how about doing this? Cultivating a quiet time with God. Giving strength to your inner man because it's, it's out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. Not the abundance of your environment. It's out of the abundance of your heart. So change who you are on the inside. Be strengthened on the inner man. And then the outside things will follow. Are you following me here? Paul is saying, you want to change on the outside? You want to live the gospel on the outside successfully? You better every day pray that God would give you power on the inside. Request number two. Pray for the rule of God. Not just the power of God. Pray for the rule of God. It's going to take me a few paragraphs here of my notes to, 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 to mine this out of the text. But I want you to follow me. Look at the first part of verse 17. 
that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. To understand what Paul's getting at, you've got to understand what the word dwell means. Because as we look at that word dwell, we, we probably think on the surface it just means for Christ to live on the inside of you. But it means more than that because Paul was writing to Christians who were already indwelled by Christ. They were saved already. So he's not talking about Christ dwelling, us, dwelling in us through salvation. He's talking about Christ dwelling in us through sanctification. That's the growth that happens outside or after salvation. Here's what the word dwell literally means, to be at home. To make residence. You want to get it more specific, study the word. It means this, to be settled down at home. In other words, for, for Christ to truly dwell in our hearts in this sense, he must first fill it home in our hearts. I'm not talking about being saved. You're already saved. He, he's made residence in your heart in that sense. He'll never leave. Isn't that great? Christ will never get mad at you and walk out. Amen. It's awesome. Like he's in your living room. But there's a difference from being in your living room and feeling comfortable in your living room. I mean, I can go sleep at a hotel. It's nice. It's just not as nice as my own bed. And I can feel at home at, a, at grandma's house, but, but not like I can feel home at my house. I can eat at somebody's house, but not, I, I, I'm more comfortable at my own table. And you know what it's like when somebody comes into your home to try to make them feel comfortable? You do everything you can to make them feel at home. You can live somewhere or dwell somewhere without feeling at home somewhere. Here's what Paul's saying. You need to make Christ dwell or fill at home in your heart. Now, how is that accomplished? Well, the last part of the verse says, by faith. By faith. Follow me here. Our faith to daily trust him to be the Lord or the ruler over every aspect of our life, our inside house, is what makes him feel at home in our hearts. It's only when he's allowed to rule your heart that he feels settled down in your heart. Robert Munger, in his booklet, My Heart, Christ Home, really helps us to understand this because he pictures the Christian's heart or their life as a house and Christ moves from room to room to room inside of our hearts, our inner man. Look at this on the screen. Jesus finds trash and all sorts of worthless things, which he proceeds to throw out and replace with his word. In the dining room of appetite, he finds many sinful desires listed on a worldly menu. In the place of such things as prestige, materialism, and lust, he puts humility, meekness, love, and all the other virtues for which believers are to hunger and thirst. He goes through the living room of fellowship where he finds many worldly companions and activities. Through the workshop where only toys are being made. Into the closet where hidden sins are kept. And so on through the entire house. Only when he had cleaned every room, closet, and corner of sin and foolishness could he settle down and be at home. Do you get it? Is, is, the, is, the, is the word picture of dwell coming into mind and into sight here? Jesus enters the house of our heart. Listen, the moment he saves us and he never leaves, but he cannot dwell there in comfort. He cannot live there in satisfaction until it is cleansed of sin and he is allowed to rule and reign. Why is this an important part of the prayer in terms of living out the gospel? I'll tell you why. If Jesus isn't ruling on the inside, he will not rule the outside. If he isn't Lord over your heart, he won't be Lord over your life. 
The Bible says, keep your heart with all diligence. Why? Because out of it are the issues of life. Your life goes in the direction of your heart. So if you're going to live for Christ and you're going to live out the principles of Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, which I want to invite you back the next couple months to hear how that plays out in our life. But if you're going to have hope to live that out on the outside, you're first going to have to let the Lord rule on the inside. Here's what that means. There has to be a daily prayer where, where you ask God to cleanse your house. To rid you of anything that doesn't make him feel settled down inside of your life. You need all of God in your heart to live out the gospel. And so you need to rid yourself of things in which you are not letting him rule over in your life. I can't tell you that area of your life that you're keeping secret. I can't pinpoint. I don't have a, a spiritual x-ray machine to be able to look past the, the skin in your chest and, and the skeleton and see your spiritual heart and tell you, yep, that's your problem. But here's the truth. As I'm preaching from the pulpit, the Holy Spirit is preaching in the pew. And he's telling you right now the area in your life that God doesn't have control over. And it's that area where God wants to dwell. He wants to kick up his feet and relax, but he can't because you've not made him feel at home in that area of your life. You've got no trespassing signs over that area of your life. In that closet tucked away in the back of your heart, you're hiding that. Oh, by the way, Jesus sees it and he knows it and he feels it and he's troubled by it. And so when we pray, we are praying this, God, would you have rule in my heart? And I'm not talking about coming to church and turning over a new leaf. I'm not talking about spring cleaning. Where, where your life gets in a wreck. And so you come to church for a couple months so you feel better. And you go out and make a wreck. Come back to church and feel better. It's like you wash your truck, right? I'm going to wash my truck. I'm going to drive it for a month or so. I'll take it back through the car wash. That is not the Christian life. It's not about cleaning up every once in a while. It's not about going in spring cleaning. It's not doing what my son does when I tell him to clean his room, push everything to the corner. That's not what it's about. It's about a daily confession of your sin. It's about a daily surrender to God as the ruler and the Lord of your life so that he can dwell at home in your heart. If you're with me, say amen. Prayer request number one, pray for the power of God. Prayer request number two, pray for the rule of God. Prayer request number three, this is the final one, pray for the love of God. Let's look at these truths. First part, our second part of verse 17. That ye being rooted and grounded in love. Now, now, now we got to consider those two words, rooted and grounded. Rooted is an agricultural word. Grounded is an architectural word. We know that for a tree to grow up really tall, it first has to grow deep through a root system. And when you drive onto our property, you, you see trees that are big and then you see those little skimpy trees out there that feel like, looks like they're struggling for Jesus. They're really not struggling for Jesus. They were planted not too long ago and they have to grow deep before they can grow tall or else they won't be able to withstand the winds of Southwest Kansas Grounded. You need to be grounded in God's love too. That's the word picture. Before a building can stand tall and strong, it must be built upon a strong and firm foundation. Here's what Christ is saying. The, the Christian's foundation through which to live out the gospel, the Christian's root system through which to live out the gospel is the love of God. Now, how does that work out? How, how does that become practical in our lives? How is that possible? Here's how it's possible. The next verse in verse 18. If you're able to comprehend... 
with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. Study with me. Here's what Paul's getting at. We find our security, our root system. We find our strength, our foundation in the Christian life through comprehending the extent of God's love for us. So the more that we grasp the breadth and the length and the depth and the height of God's love for us, the more we are established in that love. The deeper we grow in the roots of his love, the firmer we stand on the foundation of his love. Just in the book of Ephesians alone, now I know Paul says that, that it's impossible to truly know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. Like we can study it all day long and never mind out the depths of it. But the book of Ephesians alone has already taught us so much about how God loves us. I mean, he chose us, he adopted us, he accepted us, he redeemed us, he's forgiven us, he, he, he secured us a home in heaven, he's sealed our fate until that day. He talks about that, that his love doesn't discriminate between your family background, your social background, your economic background, your race, your religion, whatever the case might be. The love of God surpasses all those diversities and it saves anybody, anytime, anywhere. And some may, may argue, can we just move on from like the elementary truths like the love of God? Isn't that for Sunday school? I mean, aren't those the kind of truths that, that kids sing about? Jesus loves me, this I know. Jesus loves the little children. I mean, isn't, we kind of have outgrown. Let's move into the deeper things of the word. And, and I would ask that individual, is there anything truly deeper than John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I would ask that individual, is there anything truly deeper than Romans 5, 8, but God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us? Is there anything deeper than Romans 8 that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us and nothing can separate us from that love? What is deeper than the love of God for us? So then why does Paul say we ought to pray that God would help us to understand it better in relation to how that will help us to live out the gospel? Two reasons. The first is that if we don't truly understand God's love for us, please listen. Our service to God will be motivated by all the wrong things. Our service will be motivated by vain glory. We want the praise of men. Our giving to God will be motivated by what we want to get in return from God. Our outward demonstrations of love toward other believers or other family members or co-workers will be motivated by desire to be accepted by them. And that will lead to much discouragement. You know why? Because others will let you down. You will not always be accepted by them. You'll make them mad at some point. And sinners will act like sinners. On top of that, you won't get a thank you note for every time you serve God in the church. And you won't always get from God what you expected to get from him because you gave your offering. You see, the love of God is the only true motivation through which we can serve him long term and not be disappointed. But, but secondly, if we aren't rooted and confident of God's unconditional love for us, don't miss this. The moments in which we fail to live out the gospel, and we will, by the way, we'll get down on ourselves. And we'll get downright depressed because we think that God's love is dependent upon our performance or behavior towards him. If that's the case, then when you try to be a good spouse, which we'll talk about in Ephesians chapter 5, but you fail, you'll get depressed as you think God loves you less because you're a terrible husband or wife. When you try to have a better attitude towards your kids, which we'll talk about in the latter part of chapter 5. 
But instead you scream at them again, lose your temper with them again. You'll get discouraged because you think God's mad at you for not being a perfect parent. When you try to overcome temptation, which I'll teach you how to do in Ephesians chapter 6, but you give into it again, you'll be tempted to, to just say, oh, there's no use in trying anymore because you'll be absolutely convinced God's already quit on you. But when your life is motivated by and established in the love of God, and when you understand that his love is not conditional, it will change how you live your life. Amen. That is so important that you pray for God to help you grasp the depths of his love for you every single day. In fact, the way Paul closes the prayer teaches us such important truths that when we pray for the power of God in our life, when we have the faith to let God rule in our heart, when we are rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, look, he's going to teach us this. The working of God in us will be unlimited. And the glory of God through us will be more than evident. This is how we'll close the message. Look at verse 20. Now unto him, it's, it's, it's like a doxology, a, 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 a praise that he ends his prayer with. Now unto him, that's God, that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Look up here for a moment. Did you notice how Paul heaped phrase upon phrase to describe God's unlimited working in us as we pray this prayer? Did you see that? Have you gone to sleep already? Give me a head, not a holy grunt or something. Thumbs up. I like, I like the word amen if you know how to say that in English. Amen? Amen in Hebrew? All right, very good. He heaps phrase upon phrase. Look, now unto him that is able to do exceeding, but it doesn't stop there. Exceeding abundantly, but it doesn't stop there. Exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask, but it doesn't stop there. Exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. This is unbelievable. That, that, that as we pray this prayer and God has the rule in our life and we have the power of God in our life and we are grounded in the love of God for our life, he will not work according to what we pray for. He will go beyond that and work in ways that we couldn't even begin to pray for. Hey, he'll work in you the ability to forgive that person that you never imagined you forgive. He'll work in you, you the ability to control your anger in situations that you never imagined you could exhibit self-control. He'll work in, in your marriage in bigger ways than you could dream. He'll do things for your children uh, that you can never uh, dream were possible. And it's then, listen church, that when God is working out the gospel in our lives, exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think, that's when he will uh, uh, deserve and receive the maximum glory from our lives. Now unto him, he says, or unto him, verse 21, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end, Amen. This is amazing. If every member of Fellowship Baptist Church would be serious about praying this prayer and serious about living out the gospel as Paul prayed we would, then we will be like Jesus talked about on the Sermon of the Mount. We will be a city lit up, set on a hill. And people will see us, yes. And they'll see our good works, yes, but it will cause them to think that's not them. And they will have to glorify our Father, which is in heaven. And Paul made it clear that our Father is worthy of all this glory, not just for now, but through every generation and throughout all ages, world without end, he said. And then Paul ends the prayer with my, one of my favorite Bible words. I already told you, amen. That's why I like for you to say amen. You know why? It's, it's a word of confirmation. It, it's not just to feed my ego. It has really nothing to do with that. 
It does encourage me, but it has everything to do with the church corporately saying, so be it. I'm confirmed. Well, it's not my personality to say amen. Well, don't say it loud, but say it soft. Say it with your head. Say it with your hand. Do something. Do something. Let me know you're not just a dead corpse out there. We say amen to confirm that God deserves the glory through a church and a life living out the gospel. That's why he said amen at the end, because he is confirming that yes, indeed, God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And yes, indeed, Paul says, I confirm that he is worthy of all the glory he would get in my life as I am rooted and grounded in his love, as I'm strengthened in the inner man by the power of the Spirit. He is worthy of all of that. Amen. And amen. And amen. And amen. And amen. And amen. Please, will you cooperate with me? Mercy. Amen and amen. I want to invite you to the altar today to pray this prayer. I want to invite you to kneel down in an altar in a public way and say, God, I want your power. God, I need your power. The world in which we live is so corrupt and it's so negative. It's so crazy. I need my inner man to be strengthened. And I want you to pray this. God, would you help me to prioritize my Bible reading and my prayer life this week so that I can live out the gospel from the inside out? I want you to pray this at the altar today. God, would you have the rule and reign in my heart? God, I'm praying for that. You know the area in your life that, 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 that needs swept up, that needs dusted a little bit, that needs rearranged. And that's the area that you need to come and give to the Lord. And then you need to pray, God, would you help me to understand the love that you have for me more and more and more? Would you help me to see it in my circumstances? Would you help me see it in the cross? Would you help me to see it in the songs we sing? Would you help me see it in how I live for you? Because I need to be motivated by that love. And then you can sit back as that prayer becomes a regular rhythm of your life. And you can watch as God does exceeding abundantly far above anything you just prayed. Because he honors that intercessory prayer. He honors that in between prayer. So this is our chance to say, okay, God, I understand the truth of the gospel. Now I'm praying for power and rule and love to live out the truth of the gospel. Lord, help us. If you agree with the Bible today, say amen. That's a good word. If you appreciate it, say amen. amen. Some of you have used all the amens up for 2020 right there. I know it. You got like five that you're going to give me all year and I just used them all up. But he's worthy of all the glory. So good, isn't he? Would you stand to your feet, every head bowed?